Grace and peace to you today as we look ahead to this day when Jesus returns and we stand before God. This morning we have a really hard chapter of the Bible in front of us. Not hard because it's tough intellectually to grasp. It's not like the Trinity, how can God be three and one at the same time? Some things are hard for our minds. This isn't, this isn't one of those. It's not hard because it's difficult to know what it's talking about. Even as I read through it in Hebrew, it's not that hard of a chapter. It's very clear. But in a way that makes it worse, the clarity. What makes it hard is, this is, is emotionally, it's a very hard chapter because it is about God judging the world. And as a sinful human being talking to other sinful human beings, there's a part of this of us that just finds it repulsive, that does not want to think about this subject, would rather push it out of our minds and not go there. God judging the world. Why is that? Because the thought of hell is so horrible, it is just repulsive. Pain in this life is bad enough. Some of us more than others experience some pretty bad pain. But pain that goes beyond anything in this world. And a pain that never stops, never lets up, but lasts forever. To be eternally separated from God, the feeling of just utter hopelessness, with nothing ever that could change that. And on top of that, this is a very personal thing because this is not about somebody else. Each of us needs to face God, and so it can be very hard personally to think through sin and standing before God on the last day. And once you work through it for yourself, then there's all the people around you, some of whom you may love very much. Maybe some of your friends, people you work with, maybe even some of your own family members. What about them when they do not care about God, when you know the sin in their lives too? And so today, if you've ever said, no, God, why, do you even, why are you judging the world? Why? That's the question that Ezekiel asked in chapter 9. And so if you're not there already, turn back to page 8. And I would ask you this morning, as hard as this is, to spend some time thinking about God's judgment of the world on the last day. The setting here is not looking ahead at Jesus coming back. That was the Thessalonians reading. This one is about the city of Jerusalem in the 500s B.C. It was a time when the Babylonians were pressing more and more against the city and actually had taken people captive twice. The first time was in 605 B.C. That's when Daniel, from Daniel the lion's den, he and his friends were taking his young men over to Babylon. Still, most of the people lived in Jerusalem. About 10 years later, in 597, the Babylonians came back because the Israelites were rebelling against the Babylonians. They took more people captive, including a young man named Ezekiel, who was from a family of the priests. Again, most of the people in Jerusalem were still standing, but now Ezekiel is far away from home, living in captivity in Babylon, and God comes to Ezekiel and says, you will be my prophet. Here is what you will say to my people. And the, the big issue then was, you've got... God's people in Babylon, you've got people in Jerusalem. The question is, what's going to happen to Jerusalem? The prevailing thought was, oh, God would never let Jerusalem be, be destroyed because we are his people, this is his city. And so as Ezekiel preaches in Babylon, as Jeremiah preaches in Jerusalem, both of them have the message, actually God is going to judge Jerusalem. Uh, and so here is Ezekiel chapter, chapter 8 and 9. It's a vision, so this is not reality the way it happened. It's 
not, not a dream, because a dream would be at night. A vision is God shows Ezekiel something during the daytime. Ezekiel said it felt like God pulled him so that he was standing back in the temple in Jerusalem, and God shows him some things. And so skim through this, or if you don't want to skim through it, then close your eyes and open your imagination to see what Ezekiel saw and to hear what Ezekiel heard. Ezekiel is standing inside the temple next to the bronze altar where the sacrifices were made. God's glory is inside the temple in the, in the most holy place above the Ark of the Covenant where the cherubim are. And God hear, Ezekiel hears God call out to seven of his angels to come and bring their weapons because it is time to kill people. And God's glory moves from inside the temple to the entrance because if you thought this chapter was bad enough, in a way the next one's even worse. After God carries out his judgment, God's glory leaves the temple. Uh, for people who said God would never leave Jerusalem, Ezekiel's vision was, yes, God actually leaves. So as God gets ready to leave, he calls these messengers of his to bring their weapons, and then his words are just horrible. He says, do not show mercy, do not show pity or compassion. Go out and slaughter the old men. Go out and slaughter the young men. Go out and slaughter the virgin women. Go out and slaughter the children. Go out and slaughter the mothers. And he says, the place I want you to start is right here in my temple. I want you to defile my temple by filling it with corpses. Oh, and this message is in the Word of God. Does part of you say, oh no, God, why? No, stop. If so, that's the reaction that Ezekiel had too. So if you look down to verse 8, as God's messengers are going out into the city to carry out this order, Ezekiel falls down before the Lord God and cries out and says this, Ah, sovereign Lord, are you going to destroy the entire remnant of Israel in this outpouring of your wrath on Jerusalem? Ezekiel prays that God would spare the people. There are many people who don't want to think of God this way. They would rather think of God as more of the, the grandfather who says some things, but he, he's not going to follow through. A lot of people expect that God in the end is going to soften his standard. And when people don't live up to what he has said he expected, he'll say, ah, oh, that's not a big deal. A lot of people expect that God's mercy means he won't follow through on punishing sin. Following that same line, there are a lot of people who would like to deal with the emotionally horrible, the, the repulsive issue of hell by just saying, let's say that hell does not exist. Let's say that in the end, everyone will go to heaven. Uh, perhaps you know that the, the fancy term for that is called universalism. And the argument goes like this, because God is loving, and because hell is such a horrible place, therefore God would never send anyone there. God isn't going to punish sin. But that isn't what the Bible says. And then you run into a chapter like Ezekiel chapter 9, and this is not unique. If you've read through your Bible, you know there are some very strong passages that talk about God's judgment. And for some people, these passages break their faith. 
There are people who say, if that is what God is like, then I do not want him to be my God. Why would he do that to anyone? And yet, if you are tempted to go that route, then know this, that you are creating a God for yourself who is different than the God in the Bible. You are then worshiping a fictitious God who is what you want God to be and not God as he is. Because the Bible says there is, there is one God. And he has given us his word in the Bible where he reveals himself to us. And part of the revelation about God in the Bible is this. God is going to judge the world. Every single person is going to stand accountable to him. Why is that? It's not because God is some kind of horrible monster who gets his jollies out of inflicting pain on people. Even though I know there are people who would like to paint God that way, I don't know what you, what do people write about God on Facebook? On, there are a lot of ideas floating about God that, that he is somehow horrible. But whenever God talks about his judgment against sin, and same thing here in Ezekiel, look at verses 9 and 10. Why is it that God is sending out his messengers to slaughter the people of Jerusalem? It's not because that is something that God somehow, it, it is God's will to punish sin, but God wants to save people. God doesn't want to destroy people. So in verses 9 and 10, the answer is, it's not because of God, it's because of the people and their sin. The things listed here are the way that they have shed blood, the way that they have been unjust, the way that they have turned against God by saying, God doesn't care about us, so why should I care about God? And if you go back a chapter, the part of the vision that's before this is God gives Ezekiel a tour of the temple, and Ezekiel sees firsthand the idolatry that's happening there as people turn away from the true God and worship false gods. That is why God says he is about to bring his judgment on Jerusalem. And so one of the things I hope you take home today is this, that God is serious about his warning that he's going to judge the world. And I hope you don't take that lightly. Don't take his word lightly or your sin. Know that God says this is true. And yet that is not the whole message of today. And there's something else you need to go home with too, and that is the gospel, the good news about what God has done for us in his love. And usually, I, maybe you can find a passage here too where it is straight judgment, but usually you will find that even in the strongest chapters of the Bible about God's judgment is also a promise about his grace and his salvation. And that includes Ezekiel chapter 9. So as you skim through it again, did you pick up on what the, God's grace is about his, his love and salvation even in this chapter? Because as I was retelling it, I left out really... Uh, probably the most important part. As you read through it, God calls seven of these, these messengers to carry out his judgment on Jerusalem. Only six of them have weapons to kill. The seventh one is the one who stands out. He's the one described the most. The others, we don't know what they're wearing, but this is the one who's dressed in linen. And rather than having a weapon, he has a writing kit. Not a ballpoint pen, but whatever they would have used to write on a piece of, of 
of, of parchment or whatever they would have written on, a, probably a pot of ink and a pen, and God says to him, take that out into the city, and whenever you find someone who is grieving over all the detestable things that are happening as people sin against and turn against me, take that out and put a mark on their foreheads. A Hebrew letter Tav, which back in Ezekiel's day would have looked like kind of an X. And then God's command is this to the other six. That seventh one with the pen, he goes first. You follow him, and if anyone has that mark on their forehead, then you spare them. Nothing bad touches them, even in the middle of this judgment. And so, if you go back to that question that Ezekiel asked in verse 8, Ah, sovereign Lord... Are you going to destroy the entire remnant of Israel in this outpouring of your wrath on Jerusalem? What is the answer? It's a yes or no question. Are you going to destroy the entire remnant in this outpouring of your wrath? I think the first time I read it, my, I was thinking, yeah, right? God is about to go ahead and, and carry out his judgment, right? But if you look carefully at what Ezekiel asks, his question's a little bit different. Are you going to destroy the entire remnant of your people? And if that is the question, then the answer is no. Now, the word remnant is key in the Old Testament prophets. It's a single word that at the same time is a message of judgment and grace. Judgment, because if God saves a remnant, that means there are an awful lot of people who are going to find his wrath and his judgment. A word of, of, of peace and gospel, because... If there is a remnant, that means God is going to save some people right in the middle of his outpouring of wrath. And if you think through the Bible, this is the way it is. At the time of Noah, the whole world turns away from God. God says, I'm going to destroy the whole world with a flood. Is that story an example of God's judgment or a story of his grace? It is a story of both. Most people were wiped out in the flood, but God saved Noah and his family. Go to the time of Abraham, and there are two cities called Sodom and Gomorrah. That's not just their homosexuality, it's other things too. They are sinning against God. Abraham cries out to God, are you really going to destroy them? Won't you spare them? Did God destroy or did he save in what he did to Sodom and Gomorrah? It was both. He rained down fire and destroyed those cities, but before he did that, he led Lot by the hand out, Lot and his daughters, and saved them. At the time of Ezekiel, did God destroy Jerusalem? Yes. Within the next ten years, Jerusalem had been leveled, the temple had been burned down, most of the people died, but God kept a remnant for himself who kept trusting in him, and God brought them back home. And today, those are all in the past, but there is one more in the future that is coming for each of us the day that Jesus Christ returns in blazing fire with his angels to judge the world, is that going to be day of, of a day of judgment or a day of salvation? It will be both. Do not downplay the fact that that will be a day of judgment, and for many people it will be a horrible day. But it will also be the day when God saves those who are his. And you know how God carried out that plan of salvation, how he sent Jesus Christ as the one who took all our sins on himself when he died. 
that God's wrath is not on us because God doesn't see us with sin. He sees Jesus Christ as the one who removed it. So that when Jesus died and when he rose from the dead, that is why we now stand in God's grace. You may not have the letter Tav on your forehead, but are you marked as part of God's own people? The answer is yes, by the Holy Spirit's work in your heart. So that on that last day, it's a day for God's people to be confident even as the whole world falls apart. And so, I would hope today there's something you take away for yourself and as you look around at the others around you. For yourself, I'm praying that this causes you again to look at where you stand with God. As emotionally hard as that is for sinful human beings, don't let your mind and your soul push that away forever. You need to come to grips with the fact that you will stand before God. And what's the answer? Without Christ Jesus, you do not have one because what could we do to make things right with God? But Jesus Christ died for you too. No matter how big your sins or how many, you do not have to fear that day. Instead, you can look forward to it with joy. Which I think seems strange for a lot of people, but even that Thessalonians passage or, or Jesus, even in the middle of judgment, God's people find joy. The very end of the Bible, the Apostle John says, Come, Lord Jesus, come. We look forward to it. We don't fear it. And then as you look at the people around you, some of whom may not care about God, some of whom may sin very obviously against him, first of all, to recognize that God's judgment is just. And that when Jesus Christ returns on the last day, I'm not going to point the finger at God or accuse him of being unfair. I'm going to recognize God, when you judge this world and punish sin, you are doing exactly what is right. But that does not mean this callousness or not caring about people like that. You see today how Ezekiel's heart breaks, how he falls down in front of the Lord praying that he would spare others. That was the reaction of Abraham at the time of Sodom and Gomorrah. That was the exact, the, what the Apostle Paul was like. Wednesday mornings we've been reading Romans chapters 9 to 11. Paul too, his heart broke at the thought of other people whom he loved who did not know Christ. And so Ezekiel's ministry then was reaching out to people like that with the word of God to turn them back to the Lord. Because in the end, is everyone going to be saved? The answer is no. Are some going to be saved? By God's grace, the answer is yes. And by God's grace, that includes you and me. Amen.